The Sanctuary, a community of Jesus people promoting the glory of God in all things to all nations through gospel-centered missional living. Whether it be working with groups in Africa to build orphanages and help rid the continent of AIDS, or feeding the hungry, giving to the oppressed, and helping the hurting who live in our own community, The Sanctuary invites you to be part of a culture of passionate service. You can change your world. Be inspired. Join the movement. We are jumping into Rejoice in Christmas, and I know that may sound nuts, and maybe some of us are already tired of Christmas. Um, it hasn't even been like two days, and we're done with it already. Uh, and I think a lot of us love Christmas, and I generally just love this time of year. I think it's fun, it's crazy and nuts, and you see people and travels and just everything that's involved with it. It's a good time of year, uh, but, but really maybe not so much all of it, you know what I mean? Like there's, there's parts of it that we just don't like, and we are already kind of sick of it. Um, there's some of it that can be really, truly annoying, and there's some pictures here. If you guys would start, just throw one up there. Some of these people are not enjoying Christmas very much. And I think these kids' pictures are awesome. (laughs) That's my family. We did this the other day. No, I'm kidding. (laughs) This Santa Claus is not enjoying. Can you see his eye? (laughs) That's terrifying. On every... (laughs) That little girl's not enjoying Christmas. (laughs) One of them's enjoying Christmas, the other one not enjoying Christmas, right? So there's lots of things about Christmas that we can enjoy, but then there's parts of Christmas that we don't enjoy. Um, there's part of it that doesn't bring us any joy or rejoicing. Um, we uh, uh, have a lot of things that we do at this time of the year that maybe are fun at the beginning or they're a great idea, but once we get into them, they really get to be annoying and taxing. Um, Reddit, uh, the online service, did this survey, and they did what are the top 13 things that bother you at Christmas. And uh, here are some of the things that came out from uh, that people dislike about Christmas. Um, first of all, they said it costs too much. It's a costly time of year. We spend a lot of money this time of year. I told Mindy yesterday, I I read an online story, news story, that said on Friday, Saturday, Sunday, this weekend, half of every American will be in a store buying something this weekend. Now, it's not online shopping that happens Saturday, Sunday, Monday. That's physically in a store purchasing something. Half of all Americans are going to be out buying stuff over this weekend. It is a costly uh, venture. Uh, the other thing that some of our college kids and some of our high school kids, Christmas means final exams. <laughs> and that kind of puts a downer on your Christmas season because you're spending your time getting ready for exams, picking gifts and choosing gifts. Sometimes that is the most difficult thing, right? Even if you know somebody well, maybe the longer you know somebody, the harder it gets to pick out gifts that matter anymore, you know? So picking and choosing gifts, it starts way too early, right? We've got stuff in stores in September, Hallmark starts showing Christmas movies, I think, I don't even know when. It seems like forever. That's all they show, 24-7. It starts way too early. Um, We don't like the physical shopping, getting out and having to go and fight the crowds and the traffic and just whatever, physically shopping for things. It's been over, this is really interesting. Christmas has been too commercialized. So this is a secular Reddit uh, survey, and even they're saying this is too much commercialization. It has been overly commercialized. And then the thing, it was number 13, it was the last thing on the list, people that people, people hate about Christmas, office Christmas parties, <laughs> which I thought was funny. Um, really, it seems like over time, nobody starts to like our office Christmas parties anymore. So uh, those were some of the things that, that we can find sort of annoying about uh, the Christmas season, we can dislike about it. And I think some of us in church, some of us in here, 
we can start to dislike this time of year because we almost put too much weight on it. We swing so far on the opposite end of the pendulum away from commercialization and away from buying stuff and away from gifts and all that kind of stuff. We swing to some other end of the, of the spectrum and we're expecting things out of this day of the year that no day can ever, ever produce that no date on the calendar can ever deliver. We think this is the penultimate ex- uh, 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 experience for our family. And we put all this weight on meaningful gifts and we take time off for vacation and getting away. And we want to spend this time of the year, maybe at the end of the year, relaxing. Uh, huge Christmas services um, with live animals and just all that kind of stuff. Um, the music that kind of comes. And we put so much weight on this time of the year to provide things for us that probably no time of the year could ever really truly um, deliver for us. We, we have these long-held traditions that have completely lost the reason why. Like we can't figure out anymore. We don't attach the meaning to why we're doing things anymore. Um, we've divorced those two things. And part of it's because we're all a little too secular. Everybody in this room, we've been overly secularized, right? We think we value everything pretty much the same way the world tends to value things um, in, in many ways. And so we've, we've put this crazy weight on Christmas um, and the holidays that it probably just can't sustain and it really can't ever deliver that. And even in our religious circles, we, we kind of have to ask ourselves this question, what are we celebrating? Between now and, and the end of the year, between now and Christmas Day, those of us who are overtly religious and we follow Christ and we want to live our lives for him, what are we celebrating? What are you celebrating at this time of the year? So many times, even in our churches, we've taken Christmas and we've just reduced it down to some cute, sweet birthday party for Jesus. And it's more about family than it is about Christ coming into this world. Christmas can be even more disappointing for us sometimes and lack joy and any real reason to rejoice because we're just, we've left the substance of Christmas somewhere behind in a dusty old Sunday school classroom somewhere when we were kids. So we've put all this unnecessary weight on Christmas. And then even in our religious circles, we've made it about good things, but probably not the ultimate thing. And so Christmas can be just a, a, a time where we lack joy, right? That's one of the things we find out is that when you talk to people, this can be the most stressful depressing time of the year, right? And it's just this in stark contrast to what we set Christmas up to be. It could be the exact opposite uh, for so many people. So really, I want to spend today, and we're going to spend the next several weeks just sort of reorienting our minds uh, around Christmas and around really what it's brought us, what it's bringing us, what it's doing in us every day, um, and some of the joy that we can have uh, because of Christmas. So every Christmas can be this reminder that God, now I just want you to think about this, every Christmas should be, could, could be a reminder that God has come to do something about our sin and the brokenness of this world. There, there should, the biggest amen of the day should have been said right there. Christmas is the fact, it's the reminder that God came to do something about sin. Do y'all understand that? Like that's your biggest problem. Your biggest problem isn't your paycheck or your spouse or what your house looks like or your finances, your 401k. That's not your biggest problem. Your biggest problem is that you are riddled with sin. And God said, enough, I'm doing something about that. And he sent 
Christ. So that's what it ought to be, right? And it's accomplished on the cross of Christ. Christmas is just a sign. It's a road sign that points us to the greater thing, right? We, we don't stop at the manger. It's the road sign that says, hey, the cross is coming, right? It's pointing us to the fact that this has been accomplished for us on the cross and with the resurrection of Jesus. So Christmas, whenever we talk about joy and, and rejoicing at Christmas, it's not the gifts, and it's not the baby, and it's not oh holy night and quiet night and silent night and baby sleeping and all that stuff. It's pointing us to this amazing truth that God came to do something about our sin and our brokenness. Now, we just have to ask the question, what we are left with is, well, what about between then and now, or today and when I realize that joy, or you know, when I come to know Christ by faith and all the difficulties in between? Like, what, where's the joy in all of that time, every day other than Christmas, right? Where is the joy that we're supposed to have? There's, there can be like a disconnect um, between the hope and the joy of Christmas and the life that we're living every day because Christianity and the daily life of living for Christ and, and overbearing sin and genuine struggles and pains of life, all of those things can get like Jimmy was talking about earlier, they can be the thing that fills up our front windshield. You know, like all, that's all I see. So where is the joy and where is the hope for us between Christmas and the next Christmas, right? And the next Christmas and every other, other Christmas, like all the days in between, the joy and the rejoicing that we should have in us. Where is it during those times? So we have to reorient our hearts and redirect our hearts around what Christ has brought into our lives and what he's doing in our lives, right? What he wants to accomplish in our lives. We have to change our focus away from the things that can offer us false joy and pinning all of our hopes on those things and being crushed when those things don't provide for us what they're supposed to, what they said they would provide for us. And that there's a joy that we can have every day. Let's just bow your heads, close your eyes. And I want you to, I want to challenge you before we get started to pray. If you haven't prayed yet, we've sung some, right? And people up here have prayed. If you haven't prayed, I want to challenge you to pray. A very particular kind of prayer. Can you ask God, God, what are you doing in me? What are you doing in me? What are you trying to accomplish in me? So we're not asking about your circumstances. You're not talking to God about tomorrow or your needs. You're just saying, God, what are you, what are you making in me? Ask him that. What are you doing in me? And then you ask him this question. Pray something like, God, where is my joy every day? What are you doing in me? Christ came. He was born, died on a cross. He's living again. What's Jesus doing in me? And then where's my joy? Can I have joy tomorrow, Lord? Can you give me joy now? Where's my joy? Holy Spirit, do these things in us. Open up our eyes. Let your light shine so that we can see clearly who you are, what you're doing, and the joy that we can have your name we pray, amen. We're going to look at 2 Corinthians chapter 6, which doesn't sound very Christmassy, but we'll get to Christmas stuff, okay? So if you have your Bibles, you can turn there. There's scriptures everywhere. We'll have it on the screen for you. 2 Corinthians chapter 6. We're going to read a pretty good chunk of this, verses 1 through 10, and we need to read it all together to really get the effect of it. So 2 Corinthians chapter 6, 1 through 10, says this, and working together with him, we also urge you not to receive the grace of God in vain. For he says, at the acceptable time, I listened to you, and on the day of salvation, I helped you. 
Behold, now is the acceptable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Giving no, uh, no cause for offense in anything so that the ministry will not be discredited. But in everything, commending ourselves as servants of God in much endurance, in afflictions, in hardships, in distresses, in beatings, in imprisonments, in tumults, in labors, in sleeplessness, in hunger, in purity, in knowledge, in patience, in kindness, in the Holy Spirit, in genuine love, in the word of truth, in the power of God, by the weapons of righteousness for the right hand and the left, by glory and dishonor, by evil report and good report, regarded as deceivers and yet true, as unknown yet well-known, as dying yet behold, we live, as punished yet not put to death, as sorrowful yet always rejoicing. You can highlight that, underline that, tattoo it somewhere where you see it every day. Sorrowful yet always rejoicing, as poor yet making many rich, as having nothing yet possessing all things. Paul is talking to us about what life looks like after Christmas. <laughs> Right? Every other day but Christmas Day. That first Christmas and every Christmas thereafter. Like, what happens the other 364 days a year? He summarized it in those 10 verses, didn't he? Pretty much everything you can think of, or every category of event that you can think of, Paul mentions it here, and he's like, this is what it looks like to live with Jesus every day. This is what it looks like to walk with Christ after Christmas, after your salvation experience, every day. Day And notice that there's no angelic choirs, and there's no Christmas trees, and there's no babies in a manger. They don't make his list. What we have here is a pretty strong description of what Jesus is doing in us, what he's calling us to do and to be, and what he's doing in us. And I think ultimately the joy that he's trying to work in us every day, summarizing everything with that little phrase at the end, sorrowful but always rejoicing. So here's what Paul's doing, and we're going to run through this pretty quickly. Verses 3 and 4, Paul is talking about his ministry to other people, okay? He's saying, I have a ministry to people, and this is what it looks like. This is what I've walked through in order to minister to other people. He's saying, I've got a legitimate ministry. My ministry to you is real. My ministry to you is legitimate, not because I have the biggest house, or a jet-powered camel, or whatever the cool camel would be at the time, or perfect health. He's like, my, my ministry to you isn't legitimate because I have the best of everything in the world. I know that God has changed me, and he is changing me because I minister with joy through all kinds of difficulties. I represent Christ to you best as I stand up in joy when life is at its toughest. That's what Paul is saying here. I know my, my ministry to you is legitimate because I have walked with you through all the crud and the difficulties of life. And when life is at its hardest, I stand up with joy and I walk with you and I minister with you. So my ministry is legitimate. I know God is working through me. That's what he's saying. I know God is doing something through me. So, man, the first question is this, is like, who can say that? Who, who gets to say that to someone? I know that my relationship with you is legitimate. It is from the Lord, and God's using me in your life because when you have walked through your darkest, hardest times, I've been there, and I've walked with you. And when life is at its worst, and I don't want to get up, I get up and I stand up with joy. 
Who can say that? Here's what I would say. You can say that. We can say that. Each one of us could potentially say that. I I think you can start to pray now for a joy that lasts, a joy that sticks it out, that empowers you and it shines through you in your worst days to those people around you and in their worst days. You can begin to pray for that now. And we're going to really, I'm going to drive hard toward this idea, but here's what I would say. You, if you're not in a bad time right now, some of us aren't, we're in great times. If you're not in a bad time, if you're not in a difficult time, these are the prayers you pray before you get to your, your bad days. God, fill me with the joy that lasts. Fill me with the joy that stands up when I don't want to get up. Fill me with the joy that ministers to other people when I'm on my worst day and they're having their worst day. Pray that now, seek that now, live in it now, because the day is going to come when you don't want to get up. And the day is going to come when you don't want to walk with anybody and you don't have joy in your heart. You can't muster it up, right? You can't fabricate it in and of yourself. So begin to pray for that now. So each of us could potentially write a letter to somebody and say, I know I have a legitimate ministry because this is how God's used me. Each of us can say this. So start praying for courage and stamina. And listen, a tough faith. Some of us just need a tough faith, man. We have a very weeny, weak faith, a wimpy faith. God, give me this tough faith that stands with joy when everything and everyone is falling down around me. Give me that. That's a great prayer to pray, right? I think God hears that prayer and answers that prayer with a resounding yes. Maybe difficult how he gets you there, but I think that's definitely the kind of a prayer that God hears and answers with a yes every time. So he says, that's kind of the ministry I've got because I've gotten up and walked with you. And then in verses 4 through 10, this is so fascinating, and I'm going to use this several times as we talk. He lists 28 different things. I, I counted somewhere, honestly, if it's according to how you divide it, somewhere between 27 and 30. I just said 20. He, he lists 28 things that he has gone through or is going through as he is sorrowful yet rejoicing, as he's standing with them and walking with them and ministering to them. Now, listen, I know some of us have tough times and some of us are in a horrible season of life right now. But how many of us could do this? One, list 28 difficulties that we're walking through in life right now. 28. Generally, we've got one or two big ones and then a bunch of little things. He got 28 and his list is awful. You know, like if you read his list, it's terrible. It's heavy, hard stuff. So how many of us could say, I've got 28 difficulties and I am ministering faithfully through them and because of them? Not many of us. Not many of us could write that down. I'm struggling with 28 difficult things and I am standing with joy during those times ministering with joy through those times. And quite frankly, I think some of my ministry is because of those 28 things. He, I think this is part of the key, Paul's key, I hate to use the word secret, part of Paul's keys to, to joy and to his ministry and to his life is that he doesn't see these 28 things as obstacles to ministry he sees these 28 things as opportunities and entry points for ministry, right? So uh, I'm not going to, hopefully my neighbors will be here someday. I'm praying toward that and, and we're trying to build, continue to build relationships with them. But let me tell you in the last 16 months, 18 months, three neighbors side to side and then right across the street from us here. In the last 18 months, 
effectively divorced and his uh, wife and, and, and adult children and high school children moved out of the house, died from cancer, stomach cancer across the street, had a baby next to me over here, went to, went to Hindu temple. I think they do temple, right, on Saturdays. Do I see these difficulties that these people are going through as hindrances to my ministry to them or as on-ramps for my ministry to them? You see what I'm saying? Everybody's got their stuff. And they're either going to be, oh, don't talk. They're having a hard time. We don't know what to say to them. Oh, this gets even harder. And we can retreat from them or we can say, holy cow, God just opened a door. I'm going to step into that. Now, there is risk involved there. I get it. I know exactly what I'm talking about. You're going to be to their house. When he dies, they're going to knock on your door and it's midnight and you're going to be there till three. I know what I'm saying. But you're either going to step through that door and see it as an opportunity to go minister to someone in their 28 things because they got 28 things too. Have you figured that out? You're not the only one with your 28 list of junk. They got theirs. And it's going to be this opportunity to step in and minister to them or another obstacle to not step in, to stay away to put your arm out a little bit further because it's uncomfortable for you. So are you seeing these things? Paul, I think part of his key to joy is, this is going to be hard, it's going to cost me something, but I'm going to give myself away to these people while they're hurting. And in their brokenness, I'm going to step in. I'm going to use it as an on-ramp, not an obstacle to ministry with them. So who around you, who around you is in their 28 things And there's an opportunity for you to bring joy and ministry into their life. All of us have an answer for that. None of us should be just blankly staring at me or the screen or awkwardly staring down at my paper right now. All of us have an answer for that. Who in your life is going through some list of just 28 garbagey things and there is an opportunity for you to step in and bring joy and ministry to them? Just a name. All you need is a name. You pass the class if you can write a name down. Do you understand that? That's it for this quiz. Write the name down, and then you let the Lord start dealing with you. Okay? That's how Paul saw this. So he says, man, there's I'm, 20, 28 things in my life. I'm still working, ministering with joy. Then I, I would say this. So how we're like, man, how does he do this? What's the secret, right? How does he push through and... and Get out of his stuff and self-pity and sorrow and pain. Real legitimate. This is hard. How does he get through that to, to stand with joy and minister to people who are going through their list of 28 hard things? I think the overriding, overriding component um, for Paul is faith and endurance. And those two things go together. And he talks about endurance here specifically. He mentions it very, very specifically um, here in this verse. He says, I have a great endurance um, that pushes me through. It's in verse 4. He says, much endurance, but that could also be translated great endurance. That phrase, much endurance or great endurance, here's what it means. To cheerfully wait for good with God-given strength as God doles out challenges in life. Most of us like the first two parts of that. We do not like the third part of that. It chafes us. Cheerfully waiting for the good, amen. With God-given strength, amen. As God doles out challenges in life. Amen. (laughs) We don't amen that one very loud. Paul's full of joy. 
not full. He's ministering with a sorrowful joy. Let's say that way. Christ goes to the cross in Hebrews, it says, for the joy set before him. Just think about that. How? What are are, are they looking at? What are they seeing that I'm not seeing? What are Paul and Christ and, and others throughout history, people in this room, seeing that I'm not seeing that allows them to continue to go and to do and to minister with joy when things are hard? First of all, I don't think you can deny God's hand in any aspect of it. The challenges that he allots, the strength that he gives, the good results come from him. The minute I start denying God's hand in any of it, despair steps in. When you're tempted by life's difficulties to say, I cannot handle this, this is too hard, this is too painful, it's incomprehensible, there is no way God is good if this is what my life is right now. I am giving in. I'm quitting. I have no joy. I want you to remember these words. If you don't remember anything else I've said, sorrowful yet rejoicing. We've already agreed we're going to get tattoos. Sorrowful yet rejoicing somewhere. If you don't remember anything but that, I want you to remember this. Johnny Eric Satata said this. God permits what he hates in order to accomplish what he loves. Now, you can argue with me all day about the how and the why of sovereignty and providence and God's plan and free will and blah, 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 evil in the world. I'm just going to tell you that I can look at Scripture and say that that is an absolutely true statement. God permits what he hates in order to accomplish what he loves. You're like, wow, that's really astounding statement. What is the big deal about Johnny Eric Zatata? Do we have that picture? That's who said that. Now, would you like to just give me your list of 28 things and talk to her about her 28 things? She's been in that wheelchair now for 50 years. She said that. It gets better. She had this diving, she was swimming with friends, diving accident in her teens, broke her her spinal column, paralyzed effectively from the waist, from the uh, neck down, just below the neck down. Should have died, quite frankly, with the technology at the time, etc. Should have passed away several times since then from complications, but the Lord's got something going with her, right? Here's what she said. 50 years of doing this. I thank God every day for my wheelchair. My dad was in a wheelchair. He didn't thank God for it. How? She says, how can I say that? She begged them to kill her, to let her die when this first happened to her. It has everything to do with God and his grace. Not just grace over the long haul, but grace in tiny moments like breathing in and breathing out, like stepping stones leading you from one experience to the next. The beauty of such grace is that it eclipses the suffering until one July morning, you look back and you see five decades of God working in a mighty way. Grace softens the edges of past pains, helping to highlight the eternal. What you are left with is peace that's profound, joy that's unshakable, faith That is ironclad. It's the hard but beautiful stuff of which God makes 50 years of your life. Like, when did that happen? She says, I cannot say when that happened, but I sure love Jesus for it. I don't think you go into breaking your spinal column 
with that in your head. I don't think you go into your 28 things with that thinking in your head. But we can begin to just reorient and move our hearts toward understanding the little part that joy plays, that Jesus brought to us at Christmas, right? We sang about it, four or five of our songs. We said that word. There's this rejoicing that happens. And there's a reason that we can celebrate Christmas because it furnishes us with a daily hope over 50 years of difficulty and pain to get up and cheerfully wait for the good that God is bringing. We are sorrowful, but we are rejoicing. Verse 10. I want to read that one again. As sorrowful, yet always rejoicing, as poor, yet making many rich, as having nothing, yet possessing all things. Why is there rejoicing here? Because mixed in with my terrible, awful, no good season of life that I'm in right now, whatever it is, there are these incredible unimaginable things that come from truly knowing, knowing and loving Jesus, from walking with him through that difficulty. There are things that come my way that I cannot imagine or predict would ever come my way. Like this looks like the end, and God gives another grace. Grace upon grace. Because there is truth that can be known. And I think that that matters that's one of the things that sets Christianity apart from almost every other major religion in the world. We would claim there is truth, and you can know that truth. The other thing that we would say is, I can know truth, not as a concept, but in the person of Jesus Christ. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I don't just know truth as an idea. I know truth as a person. That's one of the reasons that we can rejoice. Because here's the other reason. He says it in verse 10 again. Another reason we can rejoice is because there are people who need my and your enduring ministry. There are people who need you to get up with joy in your pain and in your difficulty and minister. Our tendency is to hide and be in pain and pull away from everyone else. Guys, listen, sometimes... I can say it personally, but I would also point back to David in the caves. I've used that illustration with people before. It's in the caves that David called his mighty men to him while they were running for their lives, while they're on the worst days of their lives. That's when God gave him these most amazing men who saw his leadership and saw his character and wanted to be around him. And they go and they fight his battles for him later on. And some of y'all are so withdrawn from people in your pain. They need your great endurance. And eventually, they're going to stand with you someday, guys. They will stand with you on your dark days. Don't quit. Be sorrowful, but be rejoicing. Get up. And I would say this. He says this in the text in chapter 6, the ones we just read. In the power of God and in the power of the Holy Spirit, get up. There are those who are watching and who need to know what you know, who need to know what you're learning, who need to know who you're becoming. There are people who need what you're going through right now. Get up with a great endurance, looking ahead to the good that God's going to bring and the strength that God gives 
recognizing that God is doling out challenges to us the way that he sees fit, and people need to see us walk through those times. Amen? They don't need just the great stories on the backside. They need to know how you're getting there. Get up. Verse 1, it says this, interestingly, it says, there are people who have received the grace of God in vain. Like, what does that even mean? How do you receive God's grace in vain? I think to go back and read it, read this passage maybe backwards and get back to verse 1 after verse 10, here's what it means. It means that as they practice Christianity, it didn't match up to what they said they believed about Christianity. Their lives and their lack of joyful endurance was actually a denial of the gospel. Now just think about that. What they said they believed about who Jesus is and God and his goodness and his providence and his sovereignty and the cross and salvation and sin and being redeemed wasn't matched up to the fact that they are crumbling and being destroyed by what they're suffering through and losing in this world. And there's a disconnect, right? They're denying by their actions what they say to be true in their words. They're actually denying the joy and the power of the gospel by how they're handling their difficulties. Why would I be rejoicing if I have these 28 things or my own 28 things? Because here's why, and this is what he's saying. This is what Paul says. Because I'm cooperating with the work of the Holy Spirit. Because in this time, I recognize that God is doing something in me. And I'm going to submit to that. And I'm going to actively fulfill that. So I just want you to, again, reorient your minds. Why do I have joy when things are hard? What kind of joy did Jesus bring to me at Christmas? Because he's put you, now just think, he's put you in a difficult situation right now, right? Some of us have teenage kids, and man, God bless you, you'll survive. But it is difficult. It is a hard time. God put you there for a reason. He put you there for a season, he put you there for a reason, and he put you there to submit to his work, and he's doing something in you because of that relationship, not despite it. Do you all understand that? So whatever it is, Wherever it is that God has placed you, I can rejoice because I know that whatever difficulty I'm walking through, God's placed me there, and he wants me to fulfill some purpose for him right there. There, There's something he's given me to do while I'm in that place and in that time. So it could be as a husband. Is it difficult right now? Don't anybody say amen. Okay, guys, (laughs) just think internally. Is it difficult being married sometimes, yeah? Is it difficult where you're at right now? Are you in a hard season of life in your marriage? God's given you a role to fulfill some great work, I think, in your family that he's given you to fulfill. Submit to that and say, Lord, I'm going to fulfill that. There is great joy in this difficulty, Lord, because I know you placed me here to do something good. So it could be as a husband, uh, a, a wife, Um, Or maybe you're going to be married and and that can be difficult or a child or a boss or an employee, some neighbor. I don't know, just whatever it is. God's put you where you're at to accomplish something and there's joy in that. There is no joy. My Christian walk is in vain, is what Paul says. It is in vain. It is empty. It's useless when it's not transforming me, when it's not powerful, when it's not enduring It is vain and not accomplishing God's intended work in my life. That's how I receive the gospel in vain. 
It's saving me for something that happens when this body dies, but between here and there, it's accomplishing no good. That is a vain way to receive the gospel. And I mean vain in terms of emptiness and uselessness. There's a great purpose that God has called you to now, wherever you're at. And the suffering and the pain is part of it. And he wants to see you be and do the great thing he wants you to do. You're like, man, this is the least Christmassy message I've ever heard. Luke chapter 2. If you want to, you can flip over there real quick. Again, we'll have it up on the screen. Probably one of the most famous passages about Christmas ever. Luke chapter 2, verse 10. Shepherds are in the field. We know the story. Angels appear. There's an angel and it says, do not be afraid. For behold, what does he bring? I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all people. For today in the city of David, there has been born for you a Savior who is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths, lying in a manger. Suddenly there appeared with the angel a multitude of the angels, the heavenly hosts, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on, on earth peace among men with whom he is pleased. There is this message of joy that comes to us at Christmas. Is it, do we really think, do we really think that God sends an angel to tell him, hey, this is a really good night. You should be joyful today. And everybody who reads this should just look backward and go, man, I wish I was there. I really missed the party again. Or is there some cosmic, universal, eternal joy that God intends for us? And it comes through the person of Christ. That there is a joy that sees us through our 28 things. That there is some residing and abiding joy in my heart. That gives me the ability to stand up with joy in my 28 things. And see people through them and see myself through them. So here's the deal. What we mean about joy, what I think God means about joy. Here's what I would say. Listen, when we talk about joy, we are not playing games. We can't be bored when we're talking about joy. We can't be boring when we're talking about joy. We can't be bummed out, right? We can't be Eeyore Christians when we talk about joy. You know what I'm saying? Hallelujah. God gave us Christmas. I hate Christmas. You know what I mean? Like, you can't be Eeyore and talk about the joy of God. Don't give me this stuff about, I'm just an introvert. I get it. You can still be happy introvert, you know? You can still have joy, you know, right? Don't be bored or boring or bummed out or a bummer. We are not playing games. Listen, 28 things are headed your way and they're headed somebody in your life's way. And more than that, dozens upon dozens of obstacles and challenges to your walk and to your faith are headed your way. And they're headed the way of somebody that you Love And we need a joy from heaven that helps us to endure with hope. Amen? We're not playing around. Second thing I would say, nobody needs a sweet little baby Jesus and a false face of happiness that is fake and plastic. So much of what we do at Christmas is sweet and it's saccharine sweet, but it's so empty. Nobody needs that. It offers no real hope or help or an anchor when a raging storm comes. We need a joy that is in the Holy Spirit, and it's in the power of God, like he says in 2 Corinthians, 
Because Jesus came into this ugly world and he died on an ugly cross and he rose from an ugly grave so that we can live through our 28 things sorrowful yet rejoicing. There is a joy that comes through Christ that has to see us through those things that can be lost in Christmas if we don't celebrate this right. Third thing, we are sorrowful yet rejoicing because Jesus came and he's recreated our heart and he's redirecting our loves and our desires every day. Will your kids rebel? Will your bank account say zero and maybe worse? Will your cars break down? Will my child fall off the trampoline and break their arm? Will a girl or a boy break my heart? Will my spouse get sick and die? Yes. But we will only be sad, not crushed. Because my joy is not in those things. Some of you are like, no, 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 my joy is in those things. That's my point. That's my point. You have to reorient your heart away from the things and the people of this world. They're not intended to carry the weight of your joy. That little baby that came, he was. There's great joy that comes at Christmas. Sorrowful yet rejoicing. These things can bring me some happiness but my joy is in the fact that Christ came and died and he took away my sins and he offers me forgiveness and life with God and the strength to endure because of Christmas. I can be sorrowful yet rejoicing. We sang that song earlier, Joy to the World. Is it still true? Is it just this Christmas song? Well, here's what you need to know. That song was never intended to be a Christmas song. Isaac Watts wrote that song, and here's what he was doing. He was going through the Psalms, and he's like, how do I talk, take Psalm 98 and make the words come alive every day of the week for me? So it was kind of his devotional practice to go through the Psalms and reword them so that he could better connect to them. So kind of rewriting poetry a little bit. So that's kind of how we got the initial version uh, of what we now know as Joy to the World. He wanted a reminder for everyday Christians, that the joy of the Lord flows through us every day. That was his whole point. We've turned it into a Christmas song, but ultimately, Isaac Watts was like, I need to remember this every day. How can I do that? And he reworded Psalm 98. So just think about the words. We have to prepare space for Jesus in our hearts each day so he can renew us. He's the king of our lives, and he's a good king. And he makes his blessings flow through us as he exerts his rule through our faithful endurance. And we should use songs to celebrate his faithful goodness and the joy in our hearts. That's the message of joy to the world. So it's not about Christmas per se. And this is what else is interesting. It's not about looking, when Isaac Watts wrote it in Psalm 98, they're not looking back at the birth of Christ. They're looking forward to the return of Christ. They're looking ahead in time and they're saying because Jesus has come, because God's been faithful to his promises, there is a joy that rules in my heart now and that's going to be fulfilled later for eternity. So he's looking forward that there is this joy that can be ours while we endure throughout our 28 things. And I thought John Piper made this point fantastically. He's like, what if, what if the spirit of joy to the world, he didn't say that, I, I added that. What if the spirit of the lyrics of joy to the world is our main attraction to a hopeless world. 
Some of us, and there's going to be a time where we're going to need to debate somebody or argue with somebody or make a point with somebody. But really, what if the greatest and most attractive thing that we could offer a hurting, hopeless world is joy in the middle of pain? And he says this, and I thought this was great. He says, think about it. What's the best way that we could possibly tell somebody about Christmas? That you can have an amazing life every day, here and now, without trouble or worry or loss or pain. Is that the best thing we can tell them? Or that there is a kind of sorrowful joy that you can have when your 28 things come to you. I added that. What the world needs is a joy in Christians that is genuine and cannot be defeated by suffering. Jesus said this, Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Then he says this, very next verse, Rejoice and be glad. Blessed are you when others revile you. Blessed would be happy, by the way. Happy are you when others revile you, persecute you, utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. Piper says, do you think it's random that the next thing that he said was, you are the salt of the earth and you are the light of the world? I don't think it was random. I think the tang of the salt that the world needs to taste, the brightness of the light that the world needs to see is precisely this indomitable joy in the midst of sorrow. Joy in the midst of health, joy in the midst of wealth and ease, joy when everyone speaks well of you. Why would that mean anything to the world? They have that already but indomitable joy in the midst of sorrow that they don't have. This is what Jesus has come to give us in this fallen, pain-filled, sin-wracked world, sorrowful yet rejoicing. Amen? And what if the world around you doesn't need to see you being fake and plastic, needs to see you cry your tears and say, but joy, the joy of the Lord is my strength, amen? The joy of the Lord gives me the endurance to stand up and get up today and walk with you through your stuff. Let's walk together and see what God has for us. When it's March the 23rd or June the 11th or October the 2nd, it's not December the 25th, and you're going through your 28 things, is their joy. You guys bow your heads. Close your eyes, please. Thanks for Christ at Christmas. And we're thankful, God, for fun and for celebration and friends and gifts. Can you just pray this? We prayed earlier. God, what are you doing in me? Let's pray this now. God, don't let me celebrate Christmas in an empty way. Could you pray that? God, don't let me celebrate Christmas in an empty way. Help me to know Christ. I don't have anything approaching this kind of hope and joy that Paul talks about. I don't. I feel so far away from it. Give me the ability, God, to receive the grace of Jesus and his forgiveness. Be the Lord of my life. Some of you just need to pray that prayer. Be the Lord of my life. Save me. I don't have anything like this joy. Some of us, like Christians, we need to pray, I don't want to receive this this grace in vain. You've saved me, but I don't want to be just joyful when things are good, and I don't want to be crushed when things are bad. 
God, I need you to merge these things in my heart through the power of the Holy Spirit because I can't do it on my own. Make me sorrowful yet rejoicing. Not just sorrowful, not just rejoicing. Sorrowful yet rejoicing because of Christ. God, I would pray for our church that a watching world would see at the Sanctuary Fellowship God, that we would be a a group of people that have a Christmas-based joy that can't be crushed on every other day of the year. God, that our joy can't be crushed by 28 or 100 or one big trial. God, that our church would have a, a light that would shine and a tasty saltiness about us that is, even though we are sorrowful. We would go with joy and rejoice and endure and stand. So God, as the angels said, there is joy to the world. Let us give that gift away to people this Christmas. We're hurting and we can talk to them about our hurts and our pains. It's real, it's life. But we can also say there is a joy unspeakable, a joy indescribable, a joy that can't be defeated comes from the Lord and it lets me stand up and talk to you today. Thank you, God, for these promises, for this truth. And as we go through our hard things, let us be sorrowful yet rejoicing. In your name we pray. Amen. Thank you for being here um, this morning.